A Questioning Faith from Genesis chapter 18. This message by Pastor Rod Harris was delivered at Trinity Baptist Church on Wednesday evening, June the 2nd, 2021. Okay, let's uh, have a word of prayer together and we'll look at our Bible study this evening. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather tonight and I pray that as we spend some time together in your word that you might open it to us, that we might be nourished and fed and encouraged to be the people that you've called us to be. Father, as you speak, may we hear and may we heed in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question is, is it wrong to question? Is it wrong to question your faith, to question in matters of faith? Does a person who lives by faith need to walk in an unquestioning obedience? Is that a problem if they have questions? They're supposed to live without even a twinge of doubt or confusion. If you listen to some modern faith teachers, that seems to be their message. If you doubt, if you struggle in any way, you forfeit the blessing of God. Uh, if, if somehow you struggle in order to believe, then you won't get that healing. You won't uh, be well off financially and so forth. That any doubt will lead to uh, crippling problems. Well, is that a biblical view? I, I don't think so. In fact, I think as we reflect on the life of Abraham, as we've been walking through the scriptures together... Um, I don't find any support for that position. Abraham stumbled to believe at times. He struggled with belief. He believed God. He trusted God. But there were times when he wavered. There were times when it was difficult. He wasn't at every turn the shining example of faith. Yet at the end of the day, he was known for his faith. We, we refer to him as the father of faith in most surprisingly, he is referred to as the friend of God. Now, the interesting thing about that is there's only three references in Scripture to him being the friend of God, and none of those appear in the narrative of his life. They're found in other passages. Uh, for instance, in Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 7, the armies of Moab and Ammon have invaded Judah. Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of the people and before the temple in Jerusalem and based on earlier promises to the nation's fathers, he asked God to deliver them. O oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And the word that's translated friend is a word that means beloved, it, it, it means to have great affection for that grows out of relationship. In James chapter 2 and verse 23, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Philos, it's, it's the, the brotherly kind of love, great affection. Most surprising is Isaiah 41 and verse 8. But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. And I say the most surprising because it's God himself that says, Abraham is my friend. And again, he uses the same word that was used in the passage in Second Chronicles, a word that means 
beloved. Uh, it, it, it implies great affection. Uh, it grows out of relationship. And so it's not just uh, a, a term of courtesy. It's something that is genuine, that is born in relationship, give and take in relationship. Abraham struggled at times to believe. He, at times, had doubt. The problem is not in doubting. The problem is not in questioning. The problem is in what you do with that doubt, what you do with that question, how you handle that struggle. It's a matter of working through the difficulty. It's a matter of working with your struggle. In fact, I think questions can serve as the basis for a profound faith. Working through those issues, working through the problems. When I have natural questions about whether this is true or, or, or whether uh, I understood this correctly and do I understand the nature of God and the character of God and His reaction in this circumstance and am I, uh, am I applying it correctly here? Am I right to expect this? I think that's where our faith is strengthened in working through that. Part of that is understanding a difference between honest questioning and unbelief. Honest questioning is, I, I want to know the answer. And as you reveal the answer to me, I will accept it. Uh, unbelief is, I don't care what answer you give, I'm not going to believe. So the issue is about honest questions. It's about honest doubt and honest struggle. And as limited, finite creatures who are the fallen sons and daughters of Adam, who are on the path to righteousness. We're not there yet, and we're not going to get there until that moment when we're taken up into glory and we're transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Along the way, there will be struggle. So the problem isn't in the struggle. The problem isn't that I might have a question. The problem isn't that I may struggle to believe. The issue is, what am I going to do with that struggle? How am I going to respond to that doubt or that frustration or that confusion? Tonight we're going to look at Genesis chapter 18, and consider a questioning faith. And I'm convinced that we're going to discover that biblical answers to legitimate questions form a solid foundation for genuine faith. So again, the problem is not the question. The problem is how do we deal with that question? How do we respond to that question? How do we resolve that question? And I'm convinced that we come to the Lord, come to His Word prayerfully seeking an answer, that questioning can actually be a part of God's building faith and God's establishing a solid foundation for our lives. So we're talking about the life of the disciple. What does it really look like? Is, is it unquestioning? Is it just blind following and, and just pushing out of our mind as best we can our question? Or is it honestly dealing with our question and honestly beseeching the Lord, pleading with the Lord to give us answers, to give us guidance, to give us direction, to grant us insight into His Word. In Genesis 18, Abraham becomes the host of three very interesting visitors. There's this cryptic introduction in the first verse of chapter 18. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. 
When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, wash your feet, rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread, that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. So he's there in his tent, and the Lord appears to him. And then he looks up, and he sees these three men. So uh, the, the question, and some question it, is this a simultaneous thing? Is this visit of these three men the Lord's appearance, or did the Lord appear to him? And after that, this happens. I think it's all simultaneous. This is how the Lord appeared to him. These three men approached him, but it becomes obvious quickly as we look at the passage, as you work your way through it, these are not three ordinary men. They had the appearance of a man, but it's not three men. Uh, these are extraordinary individuals. I think we're dealing with the pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus and two angels. Because the text is, is, is clear in stating the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, appeared to him. And these three visit with him and then as they leave, he goes with them and he follows the two men as they're going toward Sodom. And we have that, his walking with them and then chapter 19 begins and the two angels arrived in Sodom. So uh, I think clearly it's the Lord and two angels that have appeared to him because they have some important words for him. They have an important announcement for him. The word appeared just is the common word for seeing or looking. But again, uh, these are not ordinary men. Let's focus on verse 9 down through verse 14 as we consider the first question. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a son now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. So the first question that I want us to deal with is the question of divine ability. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything impossible for the Lord? That, that's an honest question. Uh, as you and I struggle with issues, if we struggle with circumstances in our life, it's an honest question to say, now, wait a minute, is, is, is this within the Lord's ability? Is, is the Lord capable? Is this something that He assures us that He's going to deal with? Can I, can I be assured that this is within the power of God? From the time that Abraham was originally called back in chapter 12 and verse 1, God's been promising a child. He restated that promise on many occasions. The most recent, chapter 17, the chapter just before this, 
And so here we are again with yet another promise, chapter 17. He said, look, I am the Lord Almighty. I'm Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. And I will do this thing. And now again we have him stating, you're going to have a child, but this time he puts a time on it. By this time next year. Now, how long has he been waiting? We talked about it last time. 24 years. 24 years he's been waiting for this to happen. 24 years he's gone through all of this. He's traveled all over the place. All these things going on. And the Lord keeps saying, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, the sand on the shore. And they're going to be too numerous to count and all that. And he's sitting here saying, I tried to help you and had a child with Hagar, but you said that's not it. And I'm still not producing a child. I'm 99 years old. I don't see it happening. The Lord comes and says, no, by this time next year, you'll have a child. Sarah's on the other side of the tent door, and what's her response? She laughs. And it was a laughable circumstance. She says, I I love the way the text delicately puts it. The way a woman has passed her by. She's long past the time of bearing children. And she knows that. And she says, my husband's a dried up old man. How in the world can that be? And so she laughs. It's a laughable thing. There's no way. And and from the perspective of the world, from the perspective of everything I've ever known, from the perspective of all that men have ever known, this is an impossible thing. So the Lord raises the question, is anything impossible? with me. Sarah's confronted about her laughing and she said, oh no, I didn't laugh. Well, no, you did laugh. Now here's the, here's the issue. Did her laughing, which is clearly a laugh of unbelief. That, that's clear in, in, in the text. She doesn't believe it's going to happen. She's not laughing because she's so excited and she's giddy about the prospect of having a child at her age. She's saying, that's just ridiculous. So it is an unbelieving laugh. So what was God's response? Did he say, okay, now you're not going to have a child? Did he say, your lack of faith, your lack of believing now makes this impossible? No, he says, nothing is impossible. I am capable of doing exactly what I said I would do. So the issue to me is, is that a legitimate question? Is anything impossible with God? Is anything too hard? Is anything too difficult with the Lord? Yes, that's a legitimate question. Who who raised the question? God himself. God said to them, so no, wait a minute, Let's, let's think this through. Is anything impossible with me? Now, that's what Sarah was thinking. She didn't voice it in those words. But that's clearly what was on her heart. That's an impossible thing. That's not going to happen. That can't happen. The Lord says, Is anything impossible with me? And the answer is no. Rather, all things are possible. That's important for us to understand because there are times when our circumstances seem hopeless. There are times when 
we don't see a way out. There are times that we read the scripture and we say that the Lord has promised to meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And the, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And we, we can look at all these different verses and then say, but I'm looking at my life and I don't see it. I don't see that happening. I, I don't sense the Lord's nearness. I don't sense the Lord's grace in this circumstance. We wouldn't voice it. We wouldn't come out and say plainly, I don't believe God can do that. I don't believe God's capable of that. But in practical terms, we doubt, we struggle to believe. I think faith is born, it's nurtured, it's matured, it's, it's watered, it's cared for. And asking and answering the question, is anything impossible with God? That's a faith-building thing. If you bring it to the Lord, if you work it through, if you deal with it from the Scripture. A second thing, beginning in verse 16, down through verse 19. The men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. They're on their way to Sodom. They're on their way to bringing judgment and justice to bear on Sodom and their sin, which raises a second question, a question of divine grace. The first was in authority and power, is God capable? Can he, is there anything impossible? Is there anything beyond Him? Is there anything outside of His power, outside of His reach? And here's a question about grace. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And I say a question of grace because God didn't owe Abraham any insight or any explanation. But because of relationship. Because Abraham was his friend, because of what God's plans were for him, God chose to graciously reveal to him what he was about to do. And in doing so, he gives Abraham insight into the character and the nature of God. Insight that he is going to use to teach his children, his family, his descendants, and those in his household the truths about this great God, his character, his nature, his working, and his ways. Sodom is guilty. They're guilty of great sin. God's judgment is just and righteous. But he chose to reveal himself to Abraham and to make his way known. Again, giving insight to the character of God. He gained knowledge about God. He learned that God is a God of justice, that God is a God who is holy, a God who is serious, a God who plays for keeps. And when God says he will visit with judgment, he means it. And he will carry that out. But he's also a God of mercy. He's also a God of grace as he reveals himself and, and 
in the rest of this passage as, as Abraham bargains with God and deals with God. He learns something of the, the grace and mercy of God in dealing with his children as they struggle to understand. But he gives him insight and understanding so that he is able to teach and warn others in light of this knowledge. It's a matter of grace. Why is this question important? It's important because James is going to tell us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. If you don't have understanding, if this doesn't make sense, if you say, I, I can't connect the dots, I'm not, able to, I'm not able to see how this fits with this and how all of this fits into the plan of God, so I'm lacking understanding, I'm lacking wisdom, so what do I do with that question? What do I do with that uncertainty? What do I do with the unknown? I come to the Lord and I seek wisdom, I seek understanding, and this is a God of grace, this is a God of mercy who makes his way known to us, who graciously reveals his way to us. So is it a legitimate question about revealing the truth that that he has no right to, of making his way known, though he doesn't owe it to him, and he doesn't owe him an explanation? Yeah, it's a legitimate question. Again, who raised the question? God raised the question. God's revealing himself. God's teaching about who he is. And so he's saying it's, it's, not, it's not wrong to question. It's not wrong to struggle. Uh, I, 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 I deal with you in love and compassion and grace and mercy in your struggle. Verse 20 through 25. The Lord says, I'm going to go down. The outcries come up. I want to see whether this is legitimate or not. I want to see for myself if this is exactly... Again, this is using language for us to understand. It's not a matter that the Lord literally had to go down to Sodom because he didn't know. It's the Lord explaining to us his grace and kindness, his mercy in dealing with them. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death within the, with, with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. God's revealed it. God's made it clear. He's going to Sodom for the purpose of judgment. He's going to destroy the city. And Abraham said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody? What about the righteous? Would you destroy the righteous along with the wicked? Far be it from you to do that. He's struggling to understand how God could just wipe out the city. He doesn't understand the wickedness in the heart of man. He doesn't understand the wickedness of Sodom. He doesn't understand that this is God's judgment after years and centuries of patience with this wayward people. And he cries out. And he asks a question. The third question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Struggling. 
with the issue of righteousness, struggling with the issue of justice and how justice works its way, how divine justice is accomplished in a sinful, fallen, corrupt world. He's questioning, he's wondering. He, he doesn't have it all figured out. He, he, he's wanting to understand and he is pleading on behalf of folks left in the city that, that maybe they could be spared. Is it a legitimate question? Again, it is a legitimate question. This time, who raised the question? Abraham raised it. Isn't God raising it? Abraham's raising it. So I think that part of what's happening in this is Abraham's been given permission to question. God has shown him the problem isn't in asking. The problem isn't in seeking an honest answer. The problem isn't in struggling to understand and struggling to believe. It's what do you do with that? And so as he's struggling, he says, far be it from you to do such a thing. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right. Now, we have to deal with that, understanding what that question means. What does it mean for Abraham to ask the true and living God if he will do what is just? He's asking whether God's trustworthy or not. Now, that, that takes some courage to ask that. I mean, God, can I trust you to do what's right? Now, maybe you haven't used the words, but has there been a circumstance in your life where you did question that? There's been a time in your life and something was going on in your life. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe it's sickness with a child or a grandchild or maybe it's a loss of a job maybe it's a loss of an income maybe it's an injustice that's been done to you in the world have you ever been in a position where you looked to the Lord and said can I trust you to do the right thing because I don't see it here this isn't fair this isn't right there are times when we are in the midst of something that we don't see clearly. He came to the Lord and he asked him, Can I trust you? Can I trust you to do what is right? Again, I remember years ago hearing a, a pastor that I greatly respected um, who was the interim pastor of our church when I was in seminary and um, he talked about a, a defining moment in his life and ministry. Uh, he traveled a lot, did a lot of conferences, and he had been on the road, and he had been away from home, and there were things happening to his children, and there were circumstances happening at his home that uh, he had left a very successful pastorate where everything was great. He, he went into this ministry because he felt this was God's leadership, and it seemed that all hell was breaking loose in his life, and his world was falling apart. And uh, he said, I fell on my face in that hotel room and I finally, after weeping, looked up to heaven and said, if you treat everyone like you treat me, it's no wonder you don't have any more friends than you do. That was an honest crying out. I don't understand. I don't understand why this is happening. I, I don't see justice in this. I don't see fairness in this. I've been a faithful servant. I'm doing my best to serve you. And it, it wasn't 
pity. It wasn't a temper tantrum. He was honest and sincere. And I think because he was honest and sincere, God met him in that moment. And he found grace. And he found mercy. And he continued that work. But guess what? Things didn't get better at home. There were still struggles. Things didn't turn around. He didn't all of a sudden have more money than he knew what to do with. And all, all, the troubles didn't go away. The difference was he knew God at a different level. He understood the grace and the mercy of God at a level he had not understood it before. And, and the grace of God was not in solving his problem. The grace of God was in revealing himself to him and saying, Listen, I'm worthy of your trust. You can trust me. And that's what the life of faith is all about. I don't need faith if I have the answer. I don't need faith if, if, if I've got the, the, the check in my hand. I don't need faith if God is standing here and saying, here, here everything is laid out for you. I need faith when it doesn't make sense. I need faith when it, everything in me says, boy, this is a, this is a, this is a bad idea. but God's worthy of my trust. He does not fail. Nothing is impossible with Him. And He is gracious and merciful, so I will trust Him even in the midst of this trial. Again, it's not about how much faith I have. It's not about convincing myself through positive thinking that things are going to get better. It's about the one in whom I trust. That my trust, my confidence, my hope, my surety, my certainty rest in a God who is worthy of my trust. A God of great power for whom nothing is impossible. A God who stepped out into nothing and said, let there be, and everything came into existence. A God who owes all things together by the power of His might. A God who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you always. A God who's worthy of my trust. So, in asking these three questions... What does Abraham have? He now understands that God is able to do the impossible. He understands that God is gracious and can and will make himself known. He understands that God can be trusted to always do what is right. Now, I'll ask you, what kind of foundation does that provide Abraham? Is it a foundation of strength or a foundation of weakness? Is it a place to stand or is it a place to forevermore question never coming to any settled matter? I think it's a faith-building thing to work through honest questions, honest doubt, honest frustration, and honest fear. The life of faith is a life that is willing to question 
but brings every question to God Himself, bathes it in prayer, beseeches the Word of God for an answer, and willingly accepts and embraces the truth that God reveals. So the problem is not a questioning faith. The problem is how do we respond to our questions and what do we do with our struggles. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you, Lord, that you are big enough to handle our questions, our fear, our frustration, even our unbelief. Lord, there are times in our pilgrimage that we find ourselves like the man in the gospel and we have to say, Lord, I believe Help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but I'm struggling. Lord, I believe you. I believe you're trustworthy. I believe you're reliable. I believe your word is faithful and true, and I believe you'll do what you said you would do. But honestly, right now, I can't see it. And I'm struggling. I'm faltering. Lord, I need your grace. Carry me through today, to get me to tomorrow, to carry me tomorrow, to get me to the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day as I learn to walk by faith, trusting with all of my fear, all of my frustration, growing in my knowledge of you through experience with you. Lord, I'm so grateful that the life of faith is not a life of cold and detached doctrine and dogma. There are great profound truths. There, there are uh, essential dogma that are, that are necessary for us to believe, but we don't believe it in a vacuum. We don't believe it because uh, it's written down somewhere. We believe it because you have shown yourself. You have revealed yourself. And you, your person, your character, your nature, is worthy of our trust. Worthy of our faith. So Lord, teach us, teach us to live in that. Teach us to, to settle into that. Not run away from our fear. But bring our fear to you. Not run away from our questions, but bring our questions to you. Find in you hope and courage and life and truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the TBC Tulsa podcast, which features the preaching ministry of Pastor Rod Harris at Trinity Baptist Church, located at the corner of 41st and Union in Tulsa, Oklahoma. To learn more about Trinity Baptist Church, visit us on the web at www.tbctulsa.com. 
www.ghostbusters.org.